Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas, and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere, and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear, nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Hey everybody, welcome to Monster X Radio. I uh, got Chris Spencer and Wes with Squatchometrics with me tonight. And we're going to be talking about an audio project that uh, has been in two years in the making. Specifically, Chris Spencer has really taken the helm at this. And uh, our good friend Wes of Squatchometrics has been, he has played a huge role in this. So, uh, you know, obviously, if you guys are familiar with the Olympic project, uh, we've been working on Nest Area for the last, uh, well, since about uh, the late latter part of 2015. These nests are um, rather phenomenal in a lot of ways. And, and if you guys have any questions or you're new to the show, please go back and listen to some of the prior shows we've done on Monster X Radio on these nests. And so we've been working in this area for many, many years now, trying to collect as much data as we can in this area, both physical data, audio and everything else you can imagine. That's what we've been accumulating over the you know, over these past years, um, trying to figure out exactly what's making these nests. And I, I, you know, I can speak for most of the Olympic project that we we're pretty uh, sound in what we think are making these nests without absolutes. You know, that's one thing we don't try to do is talk in absolutes, but bringing in multiple wildlife biologists from different backgrounds, you know, primatologists, anthropologists, bear experts. Nobody seems to know what are making these nests or, or can claim to know what are making these nests. And so we've really been buckling down and, and venturing this area, trying to pick up as much data as we can. And so that's why I'm bringing Chris Spencer onto the show and Wes with Squatch from Extra because uh, these two gentlemen have played a huge role into what we're doing out here in uh, the Pacific Northwest or in Washington state, looking at these nests and the audio work uh, is something I'm really proud to talk about. And so uh, Chris, I'm going to uh, bring you onto the show here, man. I'm glad you're here. It's been a while since we've done a Monster X radio show, but this one here, I think will bring people up to date on some of the things we've been working on the last two to three years. Chris, can you uh, just jump in here and talk a little bit about the audio work itself? And then, uh, you know, eventually we're going to get into the actual audio analysis and the 
the light work we've done that Wes has played a huge role in as well. Yeah. So back in, I think it was, it was actually, it was 2020 after you and Todd had walked in on a nest being built, you'd invited me to come out and put one of my LTRs out, which is long-term recorder. And I've been recording in Southwest Washington since 2015. But when I started, I started out only recording like two nights a week. Um, I'd run up every weekend and drop off a Tascam DR05. And with an extra battery pack, it would get three days solid, so only two nights. And I was doing that regularly in 2015, but I was constantly trying to improve the length of time I could record, the quality of the audio. Just for me, the to get an idea of what's actually happening it's hard to it's hard to start creating patterns based off sound if you're only recording three or four nights a week getting a, a clear picture of an area sound wise requires recording as much as possible and as long as possible because you don't know what's going to happen on those nights that you're not recording so i've since 2015 been working on um the recorders and getting as much sound recording from dusk till dawn from a specific area as possible. Around 2017, Nathaniel Bronis introduced me to the LS7, Olympus LS7, which is a, a recorder that has time record function on it and records really good audio. And I started using that. Basically by 2020, I had LTRs that were recording 20 to 30 nights and um, we were talking, so I, you, after you'd walked in on the uh, nest and being built in 2020, I know Todd Hale and you both captured some pretty interesting audio within the, the week of that happening. And so we got one of my LTRs out there and actually one of the LTR of that recording did capture some sing-song vocals. As time progressed, we were chatting with Wes and I had written out uh, kind of a report for 2015, just so Wes could do a statistical analysis on that. And we were talking about owls and the different owl species. We were actually, we weren't even talking about Bigfoot. We we're talking about the other animals that I was recording. And Wes like, maybe we should just, you should just log everything, start keeping track of everything. And it, that's kind of where we were at in 2021. It's like, yeah, let's try to record every night as much as possible and catalog every sound from dusk till dawn and identify it and try to identify it. And it basically by mid 2021, I invested in the wildlife acoustics SM4, which I could put that out there. And, you know, if you got external power and the right memory card, you could put it out there for six months. <laughs> and so we got one of those in 2021 learned to use it had some had some technical difficulties with several of the recorders so we didn't quite capture every night in 2021 i think we captured like 58 or 59 percent of nights in 2021 but we added a second sm4 in 2022 and so far for 2022 we have 100 percent of all nights recorded um, between three different recorders we got one ltr um, which i've upgraded that since and it's it's getting 
in the warm months, it's getting 40 to 50 nights. Right now, it's probably getting about 30 nights. And then the two SM4s, which are basically getting it every night till we go in service, we usually go in service the recorders at least once a month. And we're just trying to trying to catalog every sound that's occurring from dusk till dawn and identify it. And we've done a fairly good job, in my opinion. And we've discovered some interesting things about the known animals, and we've discovered some interesting things about the unknown animals. So. Yeah, yeah. Chris, can you talk a little bit about, you know, can you, you know, you say SM4. I'm sure a lot of our audience doesn't know what the heck an SM4 is. Can you talk a little bit about the SM4? and you know go from there yeah so the sm4 is was designed for actual scientists <laughs> and if you go to their site you there's a whole form there you can fill out a grant um a lot of the people who buy the sm4 are using grant money to buy these sm4s and uh they they study everything from uh bats and frogs to elephants uh, there is a primatologist from France who's actually using SM4s to track chimpanzee movements because bonobos specifically because bonobos avoid cameras like the plague and she basically said they're having a greater success in tracking their movements using the audio versus uh, game cameras so it's an audio recording device that records quality audio they're very expensive but um, you get what you pay for, and it's being used by scientists right now, biologists. There's wildlife biologists in Oregon using them to monitor spotted owl vocals, the uh, barred owl and spotted owl stuff going on because there's a we have an issue with the barred owls. They're they're not helping the spotted owl cause. They're kind of one of the many reasons spotted owls are on the decline. And I know that there's some biologists in on the Oregon coast range using these SM4s for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. And so how are you, you know, for the audience again, how are you vetting that audio? I know, uh, you know, talk a little bit about Macaulay Library of Sounds and the, uh, you know, you're not just not just like plugging, um, you know, put an SD card in your computer and listening to it. No. Looking at it. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm trying to give a little bit yeah. of a context as to why I think uh, this project is so special. Yeah, the so uh, back in 2014 or so, I, I'd heard David Ellis on a podcast talking about using Sonic Visualizer. And in 2015, I, that's when I met you, that's when I met David. Um, and I learned how to look at audio visually. And by looking at it in a spectrogram, you can go through hours of audio in minutes because you're looking for a specific signature. Now, that being said, in 2015, I still had to listen to a lot because you have to learn the signature. So you're still listening, but the more you do it, the more experience you get, the easier it is to recognize what you're looking at. And like right now, I'm I'm very confident with the signatures of known animals in Washington state. I wouldn't say that about other states, but for Washington State and the areas that I'm recording in, I pretty much know the known animal signatures when I see them. And if I don't know something or, you know, a lot of times because animals don't make just one call, <laughs> they all make multiple 
different vocalizations. And, you know, coyotes have a huge range, barred owls have a huge range. So sometimes I got to look it up and that's where I go to the Macaulay Library Sound where they actually have clips of virtually every known North American animal that's been visually verified, which means the person recording the sound visually watched the animal make the sound. So you can go there and compare what they have with what I have. Because I usually, you usually have an idea after a while you get to know uh, bird calls versus canine calls. So you have an idea already when you go in to the Macaulay Library Sound and you just start looking and it, it takes time. It took, it's taken years. I'm still learning. I'm not, I'm not saying that I know everything, but it took a lot of years and a lot of time in the Macaulay Library to learn the different vocalizations that I'm hearing at night. You know, and I have gotten help from other researchers doing the same thing as me. You know, there's Chuck Madsen in the Northern Cascades, David Ellis, obviously. Monagahela has been a huge help to me in understanding um, spectrograms and visual analysis. As you know, he's a, a crypto linguist with, um, I think from Navy, he was in the Navy for seven years doing this kind of work. And so it's been a process, but it's time consuming, but you get to a point where you can go through the audio fairly quickly if you put in the work. There's work involved in learning the signatures and, and getting an overall knowledge of what you're looking at in the spectrogram. And I actually, I use uh, Audacity spectrogram now. Uh, that's the same spectrogram that uh, Monagahela uses. Both Audacity and Sonic Visualizer are free programs you can download online. And if you go to my YouTube, I show how to show you how to set up a spectrogram for Audacity and I believe Sonic Visual Visualizer as well. But I learned how to do it from Monagahela and David Ellis. So Monagahela has a YouTube channel called Sasquatch Bioacoustics. If you go to his channel too, you can see how he's setting up his spectrogram on Audacity. And once you do, then you then you the work begins you get to get to learn what you're hearing and looking at wes um you've been a huge attribute to the the uh the sasquatch phenomenon for a number of years i don't think you get enough accolades you're an online guy uh, a lot of researchers and enthusiasts uh, reach out to you and, and pay attention to your posts um that are mainly posted on you know facebook and, and instagram and stuff like that but before we get into the audio analysis, the, the the spreadsheets, the reports that we you, know, you guys have been so adamantly working on. Can you tell the audience uh, you've been on the show before? So once again, anybody that wants to know a little bit more about West with Squatcher Metrics can find that on Monster X Radio. But before we get into the specifics with the your involvement with the Olympic project, can you just tell people a little bit about uh, Squatcher Metrics, how it came to be, and what what's the goal there? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, Squatchometrics came around in maybe 2011, so a little over 10 years now. And and the main goal of Squatchometrics, just like my own personal goal, was to attempt to find patterns within reports that are filed online 
um, in books, on podcasts, absolutely everything. And my idea was to, my idea along with a couple of other people who did help was to kind of, to get every single report that, that was publicly made out there uh, together and then have the, we, we then have the ability to analyze and, and, and look for those patterns um, within the reports. Uh, that, that, that's the main objective. And we still kind of, we, we still go with it to this day. I think we're up, we're way north of 8,000 reports now in this database, this huge database, which um, gives us the, the ability to subdivide at will, at kind of the click of a button, you know, um, state-wise, county-wise, moon phases, weather, witness activity, creature color, you name it. And we can kind of subdivide and find any single report on whatever you want within the, within the touch of a button. And I just felt that was hugely important to the subjects because when I entered the subjects in the maybe kind of the early 2000s, kind of with the birth of the internet, after I had a sighting when I was young, when I was maybe 14 years old, and then there was kind of a six-year period or so, six or seven-year period, where there was no internet. So for, for, for a guy from London, there's no Sasquatch, basically, except the occasional book in a library, which I never really looked for. So with the birth of the internet, that gave me the ability to then look at the, the subject in a much bigger picture. And I never really saw, aside from some of the, you know, the main databases out there, the BFRO, et cetera, it, that's fantastic, but it's not organized in a way where the everyday guy can kind of look at it and make decisions and, you know, objective kind of objective analysis on, on, on the database on the whole. So it was really um, it was really something that I wanted to do just to break it all down, get everything together and then be able to break down. Uh, the reports in a way that was far more organised than than what was currently out there, um, publicly at least, and that that was kind of the that was and still is the main objective for Squatchometrics. And I like to think that, you know, on a daily or weekly basis, when time dictates, you know, when when it's possible, I, I share information from the database that I deem to be interesting, uh, and therefore, hopefully. Um, other people reading what I share would uh, would deem interesting too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wes, now, you know, you've been involved and in, and in been uh, a huge part of the Olympic project as far as uh, our, our analysis and uh, what really piqued your interest in, in, in with with the nest and it, more specifically, you know, with uh, Chris uh, out there recording all this audio. You know, how did we get to where we're at now talking about spreadsheets and diving into the numbers? How did that come to be? Well, Chris and I, actually, we've done some stuff prior to the nest area uh, on Chris's research area in the kind of the southern Washington Cascades. This was maybe, Chris, when was it? Maybe 2016, 15, maybe. Yeah. Um, Chris shared some data with me. From, from from that area and I just effectively basically just organized it in a way where we could attempt to find patterns 
um, if the data allowed us to. And so, so we were working together a little before the nest. Um, I'm not sure if it was before the discovery of the initial nest. I'm not sure on that, but um, but it was a a few years ago before we then decided to, or Chris decided to move on into the nest area and and get a recording project going there. So it it was kind of just a natural progression, really, because I, I think Chris liked what I did with regards to his initial area and if memory serves me right we kind of we did kind of get some interesting patterns out of it um so like I say it was just a, a natural step up into a, a new area that as you said before Shane was was kind of rich in 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 historical reports Obviously, the nests themselves were there. We 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 believed, or we was under the impression at that stage that it was a very active area. So the the potential for what what we initially shaped that project on was not lost on me. You know, it was it was we was gonna see some pretty substantial investment on recorders and the SM4s, like Chris mentioned. So it was really a no brainer with regards to to the potential of being able to analyse what what I, I honestly did feel would be thousands of recordings over a long term project, which um which I which I'm believing that we'll see the benefits of kind of next summer or, or, or next spring, next summer at least by the time the analysis is complete. Uh, so it's an incredibly exciting project. It truly is, and it's one that um the potential and the scope on it, not even just for our subject which obviously is the core focus for us but aside from that even the known animals you know we're, we're talking thousands of recorded files from all different kinds of species you know we've got 15 plus bird species eight plus mammal species now you know it's um it's a huge project and one that um like i say that the potential of it is huge and it's truly unique as well because it's it's a project that I've never seen in my now kind of it's got to be close to 20 years within this community I've never seen anything like it publicly being shared you know um so that was something that I really wanted to be a part of the olympic project is something I've always um, hugely respected uh, individually, collectively, so it was just a natural progress and something that I'm very, very happy and proud to be a part of. Chris, this project started originally with not SM4s being placed out there. It was a, a kind of a unit you had, or a couple of different units you had kind of pieced together for long-term audio uh, recording. Everything's been upgraded in a lot of ways, but how are these audio units being placed? When are they being serviced? And how? where are they being placed? Yeah, so like I said, I, I started out using um, LS, Olympus LS7s with a 12-amp, 12 12-hour 12 lithium, 12-amp, uh, 12, 12-volt uh, 12 lithium battery, which power memory-wise would get me, in, in warm weather, would get me probably between 30 and 40 nights and I've, I've since upgraded those to where they're just running off of two d cell batteries and we're getting the same amount of nights if not more we're using 
uh, Olympus DM720s, or we were on some of the uh, LTRs just because that's what's available. They don't make an LS7 anymore. You know, we started out with me going into the nest area once a month and getting mad because something failed <laughs> on one of the recorders because we've got three three recorders. At, we've, we've had up to four recorders going up there, but um, consistently we've had three recorders, one positioned in what we call nest area one, which is right above where the original first seven nests were found. We had another one in nest, we called it nest area two, which was a little north of that. And then we had another one placed in what we call nest area three, which is near the uh, new nest that you and Todd Hale walked in upon being built in 2020. Um, the nest area three recorders pretty much stayed in, in the position it's been in since we started. We pulled the one in nest area two because just we're not getting it was north of the original nest nests and it just wasn't getting getting anything really more of the unknown activity was occurring south of that so we actually repositioned uh, that recorder several times and when we when we act when we picked up the sm4 the first sm4 i'd kind of gotten a feel for the area and that's what it, with recording you you kind of bounce around until you find the best acoustic spot you find where you're getting the most you know not necessarily unknown sounds but the most animal sounds because that was one of the issues with nest area too i wasn't even getting very many of the known animal sounds which told me it was not a good recording area because if you're not getting known animal activity you're not going to get the unknown so i when we picked up the um sm4 and i want to say we put that out in august of August of 2021, I wanted to put it somewhere higher up. And so that actually ended up going on a place we're calling nest area one B now. <laughs> There's too many signs, yeah, too, yeah. <laughs> too many labels for this stuff. So we placed that, that's actually placed up on the ridge above where the, the largest nest was found. The nest that I've always, it's, uh, that nest is one of the nests first nest you took me to in 2017 and that one's always been the most impressive one to me it was is a single huge nest at the end of this finger and i just i wanted to put audio above that so that's where we put the first sm4 and it started it started producing some interesting stuff and basically through just trial and error uh i've upgraded the ltrs i've Actually, this weekend we just re replaced one the LTR and um, Nest Area Three with a, an Olympus LS7 that I've been holding back <laughs> and keeping safe in some brand new mics. And for the for the LTRs, I'm using Kimbro's mics. If you uh, Charles Kimbro makes mics, he's in the BFRO, and uh, they're kind of expensive, but I'll for what you get it's it's worth it i've tried a lot of different mics commercial mics and omni mics and this and that and and his mics are have have been the best in my opinion for this kind of recording so we've got an L, a new ls7 ltr in necessary three as of this weekend with some new mics on it but in 
beginning of 2022, I picked up another SM4. We actually had that in uh, nest area one, about right in where the uh, original nests were found. And there was a particular area where, because I can, all the all the, the LTRs and the SM4s record in stereo. With, so I can see, I know which direction the mics on each recording unit are placed, what, what direction each mic is going. And so when I put that in a spectrogram, it shows me the channel. So I know my left mic's pointed north, my right mic's pointed south, and what have you. So I can visually see a vocalization. If it's hitting harder on one mic or the other, I can get a direction on it. So there was a particular area, which is basically right down on where that largest nest was. That's where a lot of the sound seemed to be coming from. So we actually took the SM4 we had in nest area one. And nest area 1B is not that far. The, the SM4 at the top of the ridge is actually picking up everything that the, the SM4 was picking up in nest area one. So I decided let's move this other SM4 down closer to where we think some of this stuff is happening. And so that's what we did in July. And so Wes named that Fresh Camp. No one's camped there, and I don't think anyone will anytime soon. But, <laughs> but uh, I won't. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a, it's a chore to get to. It's it's it is truly down in the thick of it. Um, but it's producing some interesting uh, interesting audio. Yeah, I was going to say. So when you look at where you're placing, uh, or where you know, just for the public consumption, those listening in on the show, these these audio units um, that are being placed out there, they're 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 pretty remote. They're out there. They're not right off a trail. You have to hike in, and uh, I know Wes can attest to uh, being out in this area. You know, Fresh Camp, uh, for example, is it's quite a quite of a pain in the ass to get to, uh, wow. and so. <laughs> Sometimes if you can just walk out this area and service the service the audio unit, you're uh, you're trekking through really thick huckleberry, up and down different terrain. It's it's brutal. It's brutal. It, it's not for human consumption. <laughs> no, that, that that's you know we weren't put on this earth to 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 get around in terrain like that. You know, it's incredible. It, Sometimes, I mean, there was there was times in there where you kind of take a step every. Okay, listen, I'm not the most experienced hiker, but I'm not, you know, crazy unfit. Um, I was taking a step on a good time, maybe every ten seconds, kind of thing. You know, it's that thick, and you're worried about your ankle rolling, and it's just incredible terrain. It's uh, it's brutal in there, absolutely brutal. That's why I think this area is so special is because these nests are being made in areas like that where people <laughs> don't traverse. It's not an area you're going to hunt, you're going to uh, hike into or any of that stuff. Uh, you That's why most of these nests, historically speaking, that are ambiguous or very intriguing are found way off trail. And they're usually found by somebody involved in the, you know in a timber company because they have a job to do. Chris, when it comes to, you know, working with Squatcher metrics, the spreadsheets, what are some of the most intriguing things you've come across? Well, you know, right. I mean, we really lucked out right off the bat. We recorded a 
recorded something that's very rare to record and we all know what that is chimp fit and one of the things at that time that was in may of 2021 when that occurred uh that's when i could see it and wes because i was basically after i review i punch everything and do a spreadsheet at that time actually i was writing everything down wes wanted to kill me and sending him a typed out report and then he would have to punch <laughs> everything into the spreadsheet now i just punch it into the spreadsheet and say right. less <laughs> but yeah there there was this kind of this because i'm i'm not stupid but i i'm old school about everything in technology i i'm i'm slow to embrace it so i was kind of reluctant to embrace wes's spreadsheets and he was basically come on man it's <laughs> you can do this so anyways i've embraced the spreadsheets now but Wes, after seeing my reports, he noticed something right away, and that's the coyote warning location calls that were occurring when our unknown calls were occurring. Um, Chris, real quick, what is a you know for the audience, uh, you know, what is a coyote warning call? Okay, so the best way to describe it, it's usually it'll be a single coyote, and it'll be scream howling, scream barking, and it could go for you know, 30 seconds up to hours. Uh, I've, I've recorded it where it's generally, it's the alpha male. When there is a larger predator in the area, he's warning the rest of the pack and, and coyote packs are made up of basically the alpha male and alpha females children. That's how a coyote pack works. So he's protecting his family and he's drawing attention to himself while warning the rest of the pack. And usually it's it's always going to be it's very you see it it's very easy to pick out in spectrogram it's a screaming howling kind of call and sometimes a screaming barking and it actually gets a lot of people think it's bigfoot when they hear it and i've gone on different tangents about that before but it's it can sound very creepy but we were getting that a lot in the nest area when unknowns were occurring and that's it, still pretty consistently happening um i think the night and i'm just picking this one night because this it's the one night that we've really focused on so far was uh of chimp fit there were i believe 16 unknown vocalizations and then there or no 17 unknown vocalizations and there were 16 coyote warning location calls i mean that coyote literally was going off all night on and off all night. So that's one of the interesting things that we found. And I, like you, I did not expect to capture the amount of unknowns that we have in such a consistent way. And Wes can correct me if I'm wrong, but we're looking at about a four to five day turnover between times when unknown sounds occur and they don't, just because there's no sound doesn't mean the animal's not there but there's consistently activity uh that i personally would attribute to the target subjects but you know we we just call them unknowns for right now because they don't match up with any known animals and they're all primate very primate in character and when i when i say primate it's visually looking at these signatures they most resemble human type vocalizations 
chimp type vocalizations, gorilla type vocalizations, gibbon type vocalizations. Their their character is primate like. They're not canine like. They're not avian like. Um, and that's that's key for what I'm calling unknowns. Wes, what's intrigued you the most? Have you seen any patterns or anything interesting? Yeah, well, for me, it's pretty clear. For me, I go with the numbers. I I do have an opinion on things, you know, and I have my ideas and hypotheses of, of different kind of scenarios within this subject, but ultimately I will go with numbers. So I will go with whatever the strongest correlations are in that in our analysis of that 2021 period so far. And and the the, the area of the strongest correlations were what Chris just touched on, that coyote warning call. Uh, and to add some to, to add some clarity to it, there was ninety one over ninety one percent of all coyote warning calls were within a twenty four hour period where we was also picking up those unknown recordings. So we believe we know what that unknown recording and what's making it, but whatever it is, that alpha male coyote in that area does not like it one little bit. You know, nine over nine out of ten times he's doing his warning calls to his pack that that whatever it is is in that area. You know that that's a very very strong correlation when we're talking over a hundred uh, recordings. And I know for sure that from from where twenty twenty two is concerned, that number's going to hold if not increase because um, just skimming it as and when Chris submits an up-to-date sheet to me, that is one of the first things I look for. And um, that number holds and holds uh, really well. So that for me is, I don't know if there is going to be real interspecies correlations with our subject, you know, but that to me suggests with how strong that correlation is, with how strong those numbers are, that there, there, there truly could be. And the interesting part of it then for me, it's not just any coyote call. It's the warning call. And that holds some relevance too into, you know, the dynamics of the situation, for example, you know. Um, so that's one. And probably the strongest. We also found some interesting, we need to increase this data set admittedly, but but we found correlations with ravens which again, given the dynamics yeah, of the yeah. situation when yeah. when ravens are around as well, we have to look at that and initially not jump to any huge conclusions because like I say, the data set isn't huge where the ravens are concerned. But when they do arrive, we have all sorts of unknown activity again within even a 12-hour time frame. And then we also have that coyote warning call on top. And and like I say, the the dynamics of that situation has to be has to be taken into context and we may also have another species and interspecies correlation that could really have a sense of, of meaning there, you know. Um, uh, one of my other favourite patterns that, that, that we've initially found is the timing of both vocalisations and the knocks, the percussives. Um, we found we found that the 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 knocks 
and the percussives weigh far more heavily after 1am until daylight. And we found that the vocalisations weigh heavily from dusk and sunset up until 1am. Again, that's another pattern that holds seasonally as well. So it doesn't actually matter what time that sun sets, be it five o'clock in the winter or or close to 10 o'clock in the summer. That 1am appears to be an hour of which behavior changes chris would you would you say that's that's correct yeah the, 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 it, it would appear to be a change in behavior come that 1am no matter what time of year and when we pass 1am we still do get some vocalizations admittedly of course but but the weight favors heavily towards percussives and the knocks after 1am till until dawn and then prior to that again the the percussives don't appear to be there as much uh, yeah, the, and the vocalizations are just from reviewing i mean the, the, we get you get we get knocks and vocals you know at all times but generally there's there's more vocals before one and more knocks after one uh interestingly quite a few of the knocks recently and i'm just going off because my brain's a little fried i'm reviewing october right now but a lot of the We've gotten several vocalizations after one, but almost all of them have a knock with them. There's there's a vocalization and a percussive, yeah. You know. Which is relative. I mean, really cool because we're not just talking about a vocal and or and or just a you know a, a percussive, a, a knock or something of that nature. We're talking where there's both, both a some sort of vocal, yeah, and some sort of percussive. And that's really unique, I think, you know, and then when it comes to, you know, backtracking a little bit, when it comes to the coyotes and the ravens, one could hypothesize, you know, with a lot of animals um, that, that there's some sort of symbiotic relationship, you know, I mean, a lot of animals do. I mean, yeah. ravens follow humans around for trash and camping and all that, and coyotes can do the same, and coyotes follow other predators for leftovers or trash. What I see happening with uh, this audio analysis is I'm, I am seeing a lot of maybe not symbiotic relationship, but there is a some sort of correlation possibly with the unknown, which in my book quite possibly is Sasquatch, and the known, which is your coyotes and your ravens. They're interacting alongside within a, a certain time frame with the unknown stuff, and it happens over and over and over again it's not a one-off yeah. and that yeah. to me is rather profound absolutely one of the things i always you know me and chris talk a lot and one of the things i always say to him is is as we go along and build the data set as we get more numbers and then have the ability to then analyze them our findings we can have much more confidence in them you know if for example, if we use that coyote warning call uh, as an example here, if we had 150 or so like we did in 2021 and that number grows because we're recording double the amount of nights in 2022 and it, the data set grows up towards 500 and we're still finding over 90% of them coming on nights where the unknown vocalizations are coming, 
we may not be able to determine specifically what's going on, but we can say with much more confidence that there's a real strong correlation in what's going on here, you know, and that is something that we need to um, to be aware of uh, for sure as the data set grows. And that's the important thing about 2022 is that we, we're going to be real close to recording 365 nights of the year. And that, that will give us such an amazing insight into that area that, that we have there, which is unique in itself anyway. But to have the ability to know what's going on each and every night is 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 phenomenal. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this just because we're doing actually what back in 2015 I wanted to do, and we're finally I'm finally doing it. Um, but there's another thing that's kind of interesting, and the correlation between when we're up there and when unknown sounds occur. There's a definite connection to that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, we've established that. Honestly, we're not in there day in and day out. Far from it. We're in there yeah. periodically. And that's something that needs to be sure is that we're not in these areas every day or every week. And sometimes we're not out there for, you know, maybe once a month. Um, I do venture out to this area a little bit more than most. But when we do get in, into some of these areas where we're, um, you know, servicing the audio units, there's been a lot of really cool stuff recorded over the years and heard in person. And so, yeah. you know, uh, that really, again, intrigues me, the possibility that, you know, if we're dealing with Sasquatch in this area, which I believe we are, the monitoring and the awareness in this area of, of us being out there. Yeah, I, if our target subjects are in the area and we are, we become a focal point, I believe. So that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, obviously, these are all conjecture and it's all hypothesis. But uh, when it comes to the light analysis and by light analysis, there's a lot more that that, mm. that can be shared. Uh, but what should people expect to see, find and what's the the reason for sharing it? Well, my, my idea of the light analysis for 2021 was only because essentially we only got around half of the year recorded um 2022 like like we've said already is 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 going to be completely different we're talking about the entire 365 days hopefully or or nights um so that changes the dynamics of the report and the analysis completely so there will be no light analysis uh for 2020, 2022, there'll be it will be a full report. Uh, my kind of wants for people to take out of it is just to see what we're doing. Really, it's um, there's there's nothing in there that I want to be hidden from people. I just want people to understand how much work and how much passion we're putting into this project. Would like people to understand that and 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 any type of real interesting data that comes out of it that I hope to relay in a way that people fully understand. I'd like them to benefit from that because, you know, potentially, possibly moving forward, I kind of wonder if the idea would be to be able to replicate what we're doing in different areas. And then we then have the ability to compare um, with other researchers that that would personally be my, um, my take on it. It's just, um, 
complete transparency, honesty, and and the ability to if we can compare, which sometimes we do, and sometimes Chris gets some files, etc., sent to him that he's got the ability to compare that have been recorded twelve hundred miles away from from the nest area, for example. Um, if we've got the ability to do that, then I'm not sure if that allows us to establish anything at all, but it really gives us the ability to be able to determine that whatever we are doing can be replicated elsewhere and that um, that positive things can come out of it. Yeah, ditto what Wes just said. I mean, when I first got into this, the thing one of the things that excited me the most is when I was capturing like suspicious vocals from different areas like for x1 where i spent most of my time from 2015 to 2019 uh, when i recorded something there that david or chuck or someone else recorded in another area or that i recorded in another area that always excited me when you get suspicious uh, vocalizations that are extremely similar you're talking about species specific vocals so that's something that that absolutely intrigues me and, and like Wes said moving on I do have plans to be recording just like I am in the nest area next year uh, I'm going to do some another sound project in another area actually two different areas that are you know one of them's probably 200 miles from the nest area the other one's probably close to the same and where there's there's known suspicious activity it's similar both areas have a history of activity a history of sightings and i'm gonna you know it's a long-term thing i don't expect like i don't expect stuff to just jump right out at me in the next couple of years i expect 10 years down the road stuff to jump out at me because if i replicate what we're doing in the nest area in multiple different areas in washington and then we can compare notes then there's some patterns there that we could possibly find some you know possible behavioral patterns that we could possibly find so i don't know and my my biggest thing is i i want to showcase that audio yes it's ambiguous but when you put it in a spectrogram it becomes less ambiguous audio is important it is an important tool it's not going to prove a bigfoot exists it's not going to prove a Sasquatch exists, but it definitely will help in putting yourself in the right position, help in learning possible behaviors of unknowns, and it's recordable data. I mean, it's not an anecdotal story about how I saw this mm. and heard this out in the woods. This is recorded stuff. I have all the files, and if anybody wants to look at them, they can. I, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I, don't have, I don't have a problem being wrong. And everything that's getting marked on the sheet is unknown. If someone else can figure out what it is, great. But also that someone else better do the work that I'm doing because I'm putting a lot of work in this. I'm not, I don't, I want to, I, I don't want to be wrong either. I, I want to be right. I'm about the truth. I get tired of confirmation bias in myself. I've had it. Everybody gets it at times. But I'm, I've luckily, I have a good group of people around to help me figure stuff out and i i take criticism and i hope that when we put the stuff out there people will understand that and be more likely to put a little more time into what they're doing and possibly 
repeating or re replicating what we're doing. Chris, do you, so when you're reviewing audio, you know, you review audio just like once a week. <laughs> I, I'm being very sarcastic. No, what I'm getting at is, no, that's a joke. Every <laughs> night. Every I, night. I, I average three hours a night. Every single freaking night. That's my point. So what I'm going to get into here real quick before we uh, re-end towards the end of the show here. But I got to tell you, yeah, Chris does this every night because he has to. Because <laughs> otherwise, if he doesn't, he's going to get buried. Okay. So generally speaking, before this project, I was looking for unknown stuff. I wasn't, I mean, I would log some of the known stuff. I actually, I, I'm so ingrained into logging everything now. I don't know that I could ever go back to just, you know, being able to whiz through a spectrogram and if I don't see anything, delete it. Because now it's like, it's not just the unknown. That's what takes time is I've got to document and log all the known stuff too. And that takes time and vet and vet stuff, you know, it luckily, yeah, I'm pretty up to date with my known animal signatures. So I don't have to do a lot of vetting for those. I have to vet the unknown though. It's a detailed uh, review. Generally, like speaking, like if we go on one of our campouts, which I do audio for those too. When I review that, I'm not sitting there logging all the barred owls or Todd Hill blowing his nose i'm <laughs> yeah i'm i'm looking for specific suspicious stuff and that's a lot faster and easier to review um whereas this is this is this is doing real science <laughs> real science takes time it takes work and it's not it's not gonna produce be the goose that produces the golden egg right now it's gonna whatever we're doing now i look at this as being information that can be used you know 10 years down the road it's the long run it's it's the little details that are going to move this subject forward not that money shot that everybody's out there looking for the the little specific details and all the stuff that we talk about besides audio looking at the fauna and the and the flora in the area all those little details are what are going to push the subject forward and help us figure it out right right and, and, and the thing about audio in general it, it is one of the least intrusive ways to capture what's going on around around you or in the forest without you being there it's very non-intrusive recording in these areas recording all the known animals differentiating them visually looking at this audio and categorizing that and labeling it um, so that we can differentiate between known animals and unknown animals. I don't know anybody else doing that. I, I hope they no. do. Yeah, just to touch on what you just said there, Shane. I mean, the, the uniqueness of this, like, like I kind of briefly said earlier on, I've never seen anything like this publicly being shared. And that was one of the big attractions to, to, to me getting involved was the size and scale and the true potential of this project on many different levels, you know, many different aspects. And um, I, I have never seen it um, publicly in our community, in the Sasquatch community. And I, you know, I, I've been part of the, the BFF in years gone by and 
you know, some amazing researchers from all over the North American continent, but never seen anything on this scale being um, being shared publicly. And, and like you say, I, I would like to think that, that other research uh, groups, uh, individuals, collectively, whatever, uh, do note this stuff and do collect this stuff. But if they do, they're keeping it, you know, they're keeping it locked, locked up, locked away. That's for sure. So um, when we do release it, and uh, we've already released a light version, but when we do release the the entire two year uh, uh, project, I, I, I truly believe that's an advancement to to Sasquatch research going forward. You know, it's a marathon; it's not a sprint, and that's where I think we're going to get the the answers or the the real solid data. Chris, where do you see this project going? I look at it; it's it's a stepping stone for future projects to compare to comparisons. I'll be doing similar projects in other areas of Washington, being able to compare. That will be huge when we can look at an area, another area similar to the nest area when it comes to historical reports and sightings and activity and have every night recorded there for a year and be able to compare that to what's going on in the nest area. I'm like intrigued and excited to see if there is even a comparison. I have a feeling there will be some similarities and there will be some differences that's what i'm i'm just that's honestly that's where my brain is i my brain is pretty much fried all the time so i'm just like do the yeah. do the work now get the spreadsheet to wes let him work his magic and see what happens <laughs> yeah comparisons and patterns I, I see it shane as one of the first steps in attempting to establish some kind of predictability that for me it's that simple you know and 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 this is one of the first steps but i i, I can never reiterate enough how unique this specific area is so yes it's one of the first steps in um, attempting to establish predictability but it's a very very important one because it's an area that appears to have regular activity at all times of year, you know, I think initially we used to talk about years back that, that we felt that this area was uh, used as possibly a, a wintering type area, you know, but but our numbers and, and, and the beauty of this recording project recording throughout the year have showed us that that's not necessarily the case, that it seems to be a year round area that is being utilised by something. So, yeah, it's it's one step or one of the first steps to a long, long um, process, um, but a very important step in a very, very important area. Yeah. If there's anybody looking for barred owls, contact <laughs> us. <laughs> contact us immediately because <laughs> we can help. <laughs> Chris, where can people find you? Chris Spencer, Tootle River Valley Skookum is my YouTube channel. And I'm on Facebook too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this, and then of course, you can find a lot of this stuff on the um, Olympic Project website, olympicproject.com, olympicproject.com. You can find it there. A lot of good stuff to be found within Squatcher Metrics. So please check it out and give them a like and all that good stuff. Wes, anything else you got to say? Um, just, just really, you know, we've talked about going forward already, but, um, 2022 and the analysis for that realistically everybody does this voluntary 
Uh, so don't expect that on the 1st of January 2023 <laughs> that we're going to release some kind of monster <laughs> right. analysis sheet. But, you know, realistically, um, we w- we have kind of a goal to be to be finished with the analysis for 2022 by, let's say, the summer of 2023. Realistically, you know, we have lives to lead. We have families. Um, so... We will get there as quick as possible, but it won't be a, an overnight fix kind of thing, you know. Just one real last one from me, and and I feel it's important. But for anyone that's kind of newish to the subject of the nest area, I'd strongly recommend going to Chris's YouTube channel and checking out the Chimp Fit video because thinking back, the timeline, there's a timeline on there of the Chimp Fit activity of the night. But where Chimpfit happens so early in this recording project maybe really helped us continue this uh, even subconsciously because yeah. I feel that that is, is gold. As far as the project goes so far, so far that is probably our gold standard night of recordings. And um, thankfully it happened real early in the project and uh, – it was a catalyst. It was a catalyst. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kept our spirits high, and and um, I'd really encourage anybody to go and look at that on Chris's uh, YouTube channel. I will have links to all this stuff when the show airs. So I want to thank Chris Spencer of the Olympic Project, and I'll have links to his uh, YouTube and whatnot, and also Wes with Squatcher Metrics. And once again, I'll have links posted. Uh, on the show and you guys can check all that stuff out but i want to thank both of you gentlemen for joining me tonight and who knows what's uh, coming down the road here so thanks for joining us all Talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.